So it is August 11, 2013. Our message this morning is called the puffer fish. Yeah, so I, I, I hear recently was in the Caribbean Ocean and it affected me, obviously. Um, so before we get to the puffer fish, though, I want to show you a picture of something. And that is of a street in a city called Beit Shin. Some friends of mine, the Eregenas, are going to Israel here in September. And uh, when they go to Israel, one of the places I was hoping that they might stop at is Beit Shin. And the reason being, it's one of the more, no, not Beijing, Beit Shin. It's one of the more uh, well-preserved ancient cities in the world. From the first century, this road dates all the way back to then, and you can see the columns. In the Bible, this is uh, also called Scythopolis. That's the hillside behind. NIV calls it uh, the Decapolis in the area. And uh, this is where King Saul was killed. Now, aside from the whole history lesson, there's an important thing here. In Hebrew, when you want to speak of a heart, the word is lieb, and it speaks of the very center of a thing. In Greek, the word that they use to speak of the very same thing is called a cardia. This street, the main drag down Beit Shin, and by the way, it had plumbing under it. Isn't that crazy? Um, it, it's called a cardia. It's the center of the whole city. This is where we branch off and we get words in Latin like cardiac, uh, Cardio. How many of you love to do cardio at the gym? Yeah. Oh, don't lie. You know you're in church. You're going to lie in church, really? We all hate cardio. Don't act like you love it. Goodness gracious, you go to hell for lying just like stealing. When the Bible speaks of a heart, it's not just talking about that organ in your chest. It's not talking about that thump, 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 or, or, or God would have just gave us pacemakers and we'd all be good. Now, if you got a pacemaker, amen, you got, you got a little help. But that's not what the Bible's speaking about when it speaks of a heart. One of my favorite examples of a heart in the Bible is David. But before we get to David's heart, I want to talk to you about the natural state of your cardia or your lieb. Turn with me to Jeremiah 17. We'll be in the ninth verse. And... Uh, you guys can put it on the screen. I think they got the idea with that picture. In Jeremiah 17, look at the ninth verse. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You know, that's not a popular scripture. So many times we say, but I, it was in my heart. We say, God knows my heart. We speak in terms of the center of our being as if it is pure. And outside of Jesus making it new and purifying it, it's definitely not pure. It's definitely not right. People's hearts lead them to do wrong things all the time. Anybody had a baby out of wedlock? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> don't, don't raise them. But a heart will tell you to do something that God says do not do. You ever... Uh, you ever step up when you should have shut up because your heart led you to do it? Yeah. Or shut up when you should have stepped up? I've been there, friends. Your heart is built on a slant, an incline, in the wrong direction. And David had a cure for that. Turn with me to Psalm 51. We'll put it on the screen. I'm going to be reading uh, 1 through 12 here. And uh, if you have a Bible, turn there anyway because it's good for you to learn where these things are. And we put these big screens up here in the case that somebody didn't have a Bible uh, or we wanted to reinforce it for you, but we want you to get into the Word yourself. In Psalm 51, look at this verse, starting in verse 1. 
Have mercy on me, O my God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. What did David know? He knew that he had sinned. He knew his condition. This is a guy that is said to have a heart after God, but he begins speaking to God, asking in verse 2, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. If you walked into the room believing you'd been a pretty good person all your life, your heart has deceived you. You've not been a pretty good person all your life, none of you. When compared to Jesus, all of us fall dramatically short. But there is a washing and a cleansing that can take place. Listen to verse 3, it's important. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. I think this is something terribly lacking in our time. We do not know our transgression. We do not know our sin. Instead, we tell people things like, Hey man, how you doing? What's your response to that? Good, fine. Hey, I'm all right. You know, how about you? And we're lying when we say it. We don't know our true condition. And so we put on all of this window dressing to look like everything's all right. When it's not, you ever fall down? Anybody in here ever trip and fall? Raise your hand if you've tripped and fall, right? Now, most of you, as soon as you trip and fall, you look around to see who saw. Okay? So, so up, you fall, and you get up, and, and then it's like, I'm all right. You could be bleeding, but it's all right. You know, you might even kick a little swagger in there, huh? And that's because you want to project to the whole world that you're okay. You know who's the one that knows you're not okay? your maker. And if we can't be honest with him, then he can't help us. It's like going to the doctor and you got cancer and he's trying to tell you you got cancer, but you're just lying and say, no, nothing's wrong with me, man. How are you going to get healed in that scenario? The first step to getting a right heart before God is acknowledging what is actually in it, identifying it. And even those of you who are spirit-filled, born again, full of power, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus... Are you telling me that you don't have polluted thoughts? Because you'd have to be really different than me. There are times my thoughts are not like they should. I got served with some papers not long ago, and it, it made me think things that God would not think. And I had to wash my mind with the Word of God. Anybody in here need a good wash? Come on now, tell the truth. Need a good wash? The good news is we can have that. Watch this. He says in uh, verse... Four, three. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. God has already judged mankind sinful and David's acknowledging that his judgment is correct about David. Now you might look to your left and look to your right and go, yeah, mankind's sinful. But that's not what David's doing. David's looking at his own heart in his own life. And by the way, he's the king of Israel when he's saying this. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in my inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Here comes the important part of the verse. David been beat up by his own sin. Very often we're looking around saying, 
I am in the situation I am, and it's everybody else's fault but me. We are in the situation that we're in because our own hearts lead us astray. And the faster we can come to that conclusion, the faster the Lord can help us. And when we ask for His help, He gives His help because He's a good God. And He does not desire for us to be led astray or crushed or, or uh, otherwise destroyed. Here He says, create in me a pure heart, O God. Oh, man. How many of you want a pure heart? Say, Pastor, I want a pure heart. Not enough of you want a pure heart. Say, Pastor, I want a pure heart. Now, it's an interesting thing. This word create here is the same word as created the heavens and the earth. It's the same word that God did when he made everything out of nothing. David is not asking God to renovate his heart. The word in Hebrew is bara. And it's a, it's a verb that only God can be the subject of. Like, I can run and not as fast as Brenton, but Brent runs, Eric runs. We can both be the subject of that verb. When we talk bara, only God can do it. There is no one except God that can create in you a clean heart. I love Zig Ziglar, but he can't do it for you. Uh, the world loves President Obama, but he can't do it for you. No matter where you have put your hope, if it's someplace other than God creating in you a clean heart, then you don't have any hope and you're still deceived. That's a really important thing because when you think about it, we've often put our hope in our next bass boat. We've often put our hope in our next hunting rifle. We've often put our hope in our, hear me ladies, next boyfriend, our next girlfriend, our next vacation. None of those things will fix the problem. The problem is within us. It is our own heart. Listen to what he says. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. At one time, he was on the right path. But he had gotten off of it, and he's asking God to renew a steadfast spirit to him. Anybody in here gotten off the right path from time to time? So then, it's not just a one-time creation. The Lord is constantly making you new. The book of 2 Corinthians in the 5th chapter says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. That in the original language, that is being made new constantly. How many of you need to be made new? See, I do. I'm not ashamed to stand before you today and say, I need to be renewed right now. If I only preached when I thought I was doing well, we'd have about one service a year. And I wouldn't preach on pride on that day because that's probably why I thought I was doing well. We stand before you, broken, ordinary people, full of flaws, full of struggles, full of all of those things. We don't present to you a perfect pastorate in the hopes that you can be like the pastor. That's a lie. I know they do it on TV and they do it in a lot of churches. It's not true. It's never been true. And that's why everybody is hurt when that guy falls from his high position. What we do is we stand before you in weakness and we hope that you can see God's power in us as we labor to be made new in the attitude of our hearts. Amen. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit 
from me. What a beautiful thing that David knew. He needed to be renewed in his inner being and he desperately needed the Holy Spirit. He needed the Holy Spirit like a man in the desert needs water. Look at your neighbor and say, I need the Holy Spirit. Oh, come on, you said it now. You need the Holy Spirit. He is the divine power of God, the Spirit of Jesus. He's also called the Spirit of the Father. Peter calls him the divine nature with which you participate with God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. If you leave it up simply to what is in your heart, buddy, that won't cut it. Your heart is polluted. Turn with me to Psalm 141 while you're in Psalm 51. You just have to make a short right-hand turn in your Bible. A few chapters and you'll be right there. Say there when you're in Psalm 141. Psalm 141, look at David's attitude. He didn't just want a heart that was created from God for him that's pure. In Psalm 141 and verse 4, Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil, to take part in wicked deeds with men who are evildoers. Let me not eat of their delicacies. He didn't want his heart that God made new to get off track again. Come on, anybody ever relapsed? Again, you don't have to raise your hand for that one. But let's just say everybody who sinned more than once has got a relapse problem. You know, I don't know whether you need a 10-step program, a 12-step program, but I know one step towards Jesus cures sin. I know that. Saying Jesus and not taking a step towards him doesn't do a thing for you. But when we've hit a brick wall in our life, like Pastor Treister said, hit a brick wall in our life, and you can't go in that direction anymore, and you turn and run towards Jesus, that cures your relapse problem. Running after Jesus keeps you from running after everything, other things, and David knew it. Look at the sixth verse. Oh, fifth verse. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. Now look to your left again. Y'all not looking. Look to your left. Look to your right. Which one would you want to slap you if you had to let them slap you? You're hoping there's a little bitty girl sitting next to you, aren't you? Now, I'm not going to ask you to look at your neighbor and say, strike me if I get off the path. But I'm going to tell you, David had the kind of heart that'd rather get punched in the face than have his soul go to hell. Now, we've been told all of our lives that I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, don't dig too deep because we're okay. But David had a heart like God's, which meant he was constantly examining it, saying, Lord, there's stuff in here that shouldn't be in here, and I need you, I need you to help me. And if you don't help me, then it can't be done. And Lord, you made the adjustment for me. I got it right now. Don't let me get off track again. I'd rather get punched square in the face than go back that way I had come. You know, there's some transformation that happens in a human's life. And it happens when you stop being scared that you're going to be caught in a sin. That's not your problem anymore. You're scared that you wouldn't be caught and that it goes on and on and on and leads you to death. See, sin deceives. And when we live in it habitually, it hardens. David would rather take a physical beating than let his heart get hardened because of sin. Oh, man, that is a good place to give a hallelujah, sister. I pray that our lives give a hallelujah to that. Now, in Acts 13, 22, you don't have to turn there. This one Susan will put on the screen. 
In Acts 13, 22, there's an amazing statement made about David. It says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Not only do we speak about our heart as if it's pure, but then we award ourselves credit for what we say is in our heart, whether we've done it or not. Say, hey, man, you, uh, you serving Jesus? You going after him with everything you got? Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm a Christian. God knows what's in my heart. The way he knows what's in your heart is what you're doing. The reason he called David a man after his own heart is because when David put something on David to do, he went and did it. He had a heart that would rather take a beating than turn away from God. Come on, say, God, give me a new heart. Come on, ask him again. God, give me a new heart. Because you know and I know when he taps you on the shoulder at 3 o'clock in the morning and says, time to pray, what do you say? Oh, we, we, we'll get back to you on that one, God. I got a little conference with the pillow. I'm going to seek you for a vision, you know? But when we begin to learn that obedience is not optional, our heart begins to get molded towards the king of kings. Amen? Amen. The first two occurrences, you can put that on the screen, Susan. The first two occurrences of the word heart in the Bible are interesting because the first one is man's heart and the second is God's. In Genesis 6, verse 5, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The thoughts in our hearts are not slanted towards God. They're slanted away from God. And something has to be done to correct that. And it happens as the word of God begins to create in you a new heart. But over the condition of a man's heart, look at what verse 6 says. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. In the very center of who God is, because this word is lieb, it doesn't mean a, a fleshly beating organ. It means the center of a human being or the center of someone. In the very center of God, he is grieved and his heart hurts over the condition of our hearts. If you ever thought God was a big angry guy with a stick waiting to smack you... In the center of God's heart, he's filled with pain over the condition of his creation. Now, did he make you? Then he cares about you. If you thought God was angry, if you thought God was waiting to smite you, you're missing the big picture. What he is angry about is the evil inclination inside of us. And he wants to fix that. In the book of Deuteronomy, he gave his law to a whole nation. Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter and the 29th verse, listen to what he says about it. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and to keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. What does God want for you? He wants it to go well for you. What is necessary for it to go well for you? Your heart and your thoughts in your heart, they have to be inclined in a different direction. The reason that he gives us his word is to explain to us the good that we should do. And how does the world receive the word? They see only the things that we cannot do. The reason that the word was given is God is... Y'all say, oh. Come on, oh. 
Say it with some feeling. Come on, even you white people. Oh, come on now. Oh, this is God speaking. And he sighs. He sighs. Oh, that their hearts were inclined. God's not just filled with pain over your condition. He is sighing over it while he's giving the prescription. Do you know why? He knows even though he gives the prescription, most are not going to take it. He desires that all men will be saved, but he says only those who call on Jesus will be saved. So he gives the prescription to all mankind knowing that most of mankind will not do it, and he sighs over it. He wants it to go well with us. Do you want it to go well with you? By the way, I didn't tell anybody what I was preaching on today. Did you hear the prophecies during worship? We had three for three prophecies that had to do with God's desire to give us good things and for it to go well with us, but our thoughts not being like his thoughts. Where are you at, Diana? She got it right. Where are you at, Haley? She got it right. Curtis, you got it right. Now, these three people, did I meet with you and tell you what I was going to talk about, any of you? It must be that the Holy Spirit of God is moving in our midst because God desires to change our hearts. Is that a fair assumption? All right, ask him to change your heart again. Say, change me, Lord. Now you know why we call it life-changing ministries. Turn with me to Ezekiel 36. In Ezekiel 36, he promises a heart transplant. Say there when you're there. This would be Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Thirty-six, twenty-six, starts like this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you to move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God hears the cry of a man like David to create, to borrow, to create out of nothing a new heart for you. And he says, I'll take that old hard stony heart right out of you and I will give you something that's new. And what's more than that, I will give you a new spirit. I will make you right with me. Now, how many of you would just love it if somebody walked up and took your old nasty broken car and gave you a brand new 2013, what, oh yeah, we already got clapping and you didn't even, you didn't know I was going to say Hugo. You didn't know I was going to say a brand new 2013 East German Trabi. An Electrolux vacuum with a steering wheel, you know. When we say brand new, everybody gets excited, except with the gospel, somehow it's become cliche. Because so many are walking around saying they got a brand new heart, and it's the same old stony, rocky heart. Come on, you ever heard churches full of hypocrites? Come on, tell me you heard that. Have you heard churches full of hypocrites? Well, what does that make us? We're sitting in church. You know, I think it's time for it to start with us and we be something different. Maybe if we could call out the things in our own heart that aren't right and be honest about it, it'd be the beginning of softening that heart. Maybe beginning to ask the doctor, 
to give us a heart transplant is the beginning of curing the problem that church is full of hypocrites. I want to tell you in this place, I believe there's some people that don't have an ounce of hypocrisy in them. In this place, I see people that are more than willing to come fall on their face and say, God, I have grieved you and I want with all of my heart to be right with you. And then they stand up and walk in a different way than they walked in. Repentance is the key to power. Repentance precedes power always, and it's the way to get God's attention. He wants you to have a new heart, not a stony, hard heart. He wants you to have something new. Now, we're not going to talk to you ladies for a minute. We're just going to go after the guys because you ladies get all sensitive about this stuff. Any of you guys ever look in the mirror and you, you notice a new wrinkle? Yeah. Maybe some crow's feet. Maybe you got some age spots. Maybe some different color or something growing on you somewhere. If you hadn't noticed that yet, then you're, you know, like below 25. But for sure, by the time you hit 30, little gray hairs start popping up. All kind of things start happening. You know, what was once a chest is now love handles. And <laughs> gravity begins to work on you. And they will give you... HGH, they'll give you uh, testosterone supplements, they'll give you anabolic steroids, they'll sell you stuff for $19.99 and promise they'll give you your money back if it doesn't work, anything to make you new. And Americans spend just about more money on that than any other thing. And all of that is destined to rot. But if God renews you in the center of your being, you're going to live forever. If he renews you in the center of your being, you're going to live well forever. If he renews you in the center of your being, you're going to work for him. And I'm telling you, his retirement plan is pretty good. I love Jesus. Anybody in here love him? Let's talk about some of the things that actually are our problems rather than constantly shifting blame. Yeah. Is it okay if we just get real in church for a minute? Turn with me to James 1. We're going to read 13 through 15. And after I read it, I want to show you something. James 1, say there when you're there, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted... When by his own evil desire, whose evil desire? It's our own evil desire. He is dragged away and enticed. Can you drag yourself away? It's an interesting thing. I would like to see that. Gabriel, drag yourself away. But if Gabriel wants something, point to what you want, son. Now I can drag him, can I? See, when you have something in you, Something that is evil and it desires, you provide the platform for the enemy to ensnare and trap you. If he doesn't have anything to seduce you, if he doesn't have anything for you to covet, anything that you want, then he has no hold on you. Do you know how I know that? Because King Jesus said, the prince of this world is coming for me, but he has no hold on me. The devil didn't have a thing that Jesus needed. 
Everything that Jesus needed, the Father held, and Jesus was content to wait until the Father gave it to him, including the kingdoms of the world. See, when we desire something that is evil, we are providing the platform for the devil to drag us away. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. The longer you desire something, the more enticing it becomes. You know, if you ask a little kid in January what he wants for Christmas, he might not know, but he'll have a good idea five minutes later because he thinks when you asked that that means he's going to get. And let's just for a moment say, say it's one of those Red Ryder BB guns, right? By the time he's describing it in June, it's a Red Ryder BB gun with a compass in the stock. By the time November comes around, he can tell you the length, the color, and where to buy it, you know? The longer you desire something, the more your heart becomes attached to what it is that you're desiring. Oh, come on, if you single people could hear me for a minute. This is why it is so important that we don't set our heart on something we are not sure God is giving us. See, you're sure that if you just get the girlfriend that you're hoping for, if you just get the boyfriend that you're hoping for, you'll feel whole and complete. Well, let me just take you back through your own history for a minute. Has it made you complete ever before? Or did it leave you wrecked and broken? Oh, come on now. It got quiet in here, didn't it? See, we need what God has for us, and we need the patience to wait. When you desire the things of the world, the devil uses those desires to drag you away, to let enticement grow in you. And he's got a plan for you, the devil does. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. This is what we have affectionately named James' pyramid of sin and death, right? <laughs> it starts very small with the desire. Now, how do your desires manifest, friends? It's a thought. This is why God said the thoughts of our heart. When you have a desire, something you are thinking about that God says you should not have, and you dwell on it, it begins to drag you and entice you. At some place, you decide to act on that. And when you act on it, it gets easier to do the next time. Anybody in here smoke? It's okay if you raise your hand. I still love you, right? Man, the first time I grabbed a Marlboro Red, right? My older brother, he says, oh, man, you know, you're going to love this. So I wanted to be cool, and, uh, and I took a drag of it, but I didn't take it in my lungs, right? Me and President Clinton, we got that going on for ourselves. And he noticed that. And he says, hey, man, how is it? And I was like, oh, you know, it's tight. This is, this is nice. Now I'm lying. It tastes like an ashtray. I mean, the first time you smoke anything, it's not good, right? <laughs> so what I'm saying is he looks at me, and he goes, look, now while you got that smoke, go, <gasps> and I did. Now, y'all know what that was like? Fire hit my lungs. It was burnt. It was terrible. Why would anyone want to do that? And about 20 minutes later, when I smoked my second cigarette, it didn't burn as bad. And the next day, didn't burn at all. And a few years later, I didn't even remember that it one time burned. That's exactly what sin is like. The first time you do it, it burns you. And it hurts, but over time you sear yourself. 
like with a hot iron. Pretty soon you're doing something regularly that you never would have even thought you'd have done once. Come on, am I preaching to anybody in here? That's what this looks like. If you could see the whole pyramid at once, you wouldn't do it. But you just get that little desire and that's where it starts. An unchecked thought all of a sudden has tremendous power in your life. You know, I'd like to just venture off of the apple cart here for a minute. There's a lot of talk about mental illness, a lot of talk about counseling and psychiatry and a psychiatric and psychotropic drugs. You know, God has perfect thoughts. Can y'all say amen to that? Amen. And any thought that is not like God's thought is not a good thought, is it? God has perfect emotions, doesn't he? I mean, does God get angry? Yes, he does, and he's right when he is. Does God get happy? Yes, and he's right when he is. You know, we can talk in terms of mental illnesses, chemical imbalances, psychotropic drugs. We can, we can go see a shrink all day long. But you know what the Bible says when we have a thought that is not like God's thought? It calls it sin. Maybe what we have is really a sin problem. And instead, we're blaming it anywhere else that we can because then it's not our fault and we don't have to do anything about it. Now, I know I hurt some of your feelings when I said that, and you're sitting out there going, but, but he just doesn't understand. You know what I do understand? Anything that is not like God is not good. It's sin. I understand that. Now, I'm not telling you if you've got a headache not to take aspirin. You've never heard me say that. But if you've been taking aspirin for 20 years and it hadn't gotten any better, let's consider that the aspirin's not what you needed. And let's ask God to do something different. Amen. Come on, we got one amen for that. Where are the rest of you, saints? See, we want a pastor who preaches on sin until he preaches about our sin. We want a pastor who talks about taking the whole world for Jesus until he expects us to actually go out and take it for Jesus. You know what Hebrews 3.13 says sin does to your heart? It says they were hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You can find that in Hebrews 13. It says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. How do you get a stony heart, friends? Sinning. Anything that is not like God's emotion, anything that is not like God's thoughts, anything that deviates from God, and we used to call that deviance, now we simply say it's some kind of challenge. It hardens our heart. And the longer you have it, the more likely you are to keep it forever. Just like inhaling that cigarette for the first time. Because the hardness of sin begins to make us forget that it could be another way. Do you know what God wants to do though? He wants to give us a new heart. Turn with me to Genesis 4. Now, I know on Sundays I preach a lot. Are you all right with me teaching some today? In Genesis 4, I thought we'd look at some of the very first human beings. You can pick up in 4 verse 2. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel. What did the Lord look with favor on? And his offering. The man's life was acceptable to God. So you know what? His offering 
was acceptable to God. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. God did not look with favor on Cain's life because we're about to find out there's some serious problems with Cain's heart. And since he didn't look with favor upon Cain's life, he didn't look with favor upon his offering. Now, how many of you would think that if we take up that tithe box, right, because we don't pass it in here, that a good offering would be, let's just say, $100,000, right? How many of you think that'd be a good offering? I'd rather have 1000 that were brought by righteous people, though. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, the Bible tells you not even to take certain kind of money, and, of course, churches have forgotten all about that. You know, how about money from ill-gotten gain? Not even the Pharisees would accept the 30 pieces that G Judas sold out Jesus with, pieces of silver. They wouldn't take it. They threw it back at him. Today, we would consider it a blessing and, and just add it right to the offering. God is not looking for a bigger offering. He's looking for a right heart that brings an offering. And if you've got a wrong heart and you think you're bringing the right offering, it's not possible. Come on. It's not that God wants your money. He wants your life. He wants all of it. And it just so happens that where a man's treasure is, there his heart is also. So what is in our heart is reflected often in the way that we act towards others, selfishly or selflessly. Now look at this with Cain. God does not look with favor upon his offering. And what is his reaction? The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. This is the first frown in all of the Bible and in all of humanity. Prior to this moment, there is no scriptural recording of any time that a human being ever frowned. Cain is the very first one. Can I tell you, if you're walking around unhappy all the time, you're out of God's will. 2 Thessalonians 5.16 says, uh, Be joyful always, pray continually, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And if that's God's will for you in Christ Jesus, to walk around angry and sad all of the time is sin. Now, we think we got all kind of problems. If you're in here today and you come from a minority, you might think the problem is whoever's in the majority. If you're in a majority in here today, you might think the problem is all of the minorities ganging up on you. I don't know what it is that has become your particular crutch. I know it's in our nature to find one. Our real problem is we need lives that are honorable to God. That's what we need. And ancient hostilities, they'll destroy us. In the name of Jesus, could we deal with us and our own hearts before we attempt to change the nation? Could we do that? How many of you think that change for the world could start one life at a time? Hmm? Everybody dreams of changing the world, but who starts with themselves? You know, you have an obligation today. If you find something that shouldn't be in your heart, what are you going to do with it? We have to ask God to amputate it. We have to ask God to replace it with something else. What we see here is that Cain is angry. Why is your face downcast? God asked him a question. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to a field. Come on, guys. What happened while they were in that field? 
Isn't it interesting? Cain evidently had a desire. He had a desire that was black in his heart. Nobody who murders his brother is born of God, huh? His heart had a problem and God called it to his attention. His heart problem showed up on his face as a frown. And how did Cain go away? In repentance? When told sin was crouching at his door and it had desired to drag him away and kill him, what did he do? He went out and murdered his brother. Now, how many of you like water? I mean, you, you got to have some, huh? Would you like some? You'd like me to pour some? Okay. So let's just say for a minute that this is the water that I'm going to give you. You good with that? You still good with it? Amen. Thank you for trusting me, sister. What if this, what's in Cain's heart, is a drop of murderous ambition? And of course, we have a seal on our murderous ambition <laughs> that the devil wants to remove into this morning, this pastor does too. How pretty is that water? Are you liking that? Our hearts, guys, are a wellspring. Look at how this process happens in Cain. This is our next slide, Susan. This process happens in Cain when envy of his brother. Keep going. There you go. Envy and anger of his brother. They rage out of control. It's rolling around in, in Cain's mind. It's just a thought. God brings it to his attention. He points out the desire. He says, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? James 4, 17 says, when you know the good you ought to do and do not do it, you sin. When he decides not to do what God says, master sin, now his desires are growing and he's premeditating murder, which is sin. You ever thought about killing somebody? Man, I did this week. Now, there's... In your heart, it's the same as doing it. And yet, there's a big step between thinking about it and actually doing it. There's a guy that has given our church unmitigated problems. And I pray blessings upon him now in the name of Jesus. But I don't know, about 48 hours ago, I was, I was not thinking of blessing him. Come on, you feel me? Can I be real with you for just a minute? Okay. Something black was starting to creep in my heart. If I dwell on that, pretty soon I'd be driving past his house. Before long, I'll be hoping he gets out of the car or outside the house. You keep letting it go and you hope that he just happened to bump into you somewhere. And then you keep letting that go and you happen to hope he's not so nice when he bumps into you so you have an excuse to not be so nice. But you understand what I'm saying? Don't act like you hadn't thought like this. John, have you ever thought like this? You got tattoos on your body from the days you did think like that. But you've been made new. And you know what? When that pollution was trying to creep up on me, I put a stop to it in the desire stage so that it did not become sin and death. I don't want to die, friends. Look at, look at 1 Samuel with me. You believe God can give you a new heart? Yes. Believe He can give any man a new heart? Yes. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. This verse might surprise you. It's hard to do that in this church because you guys are pretty biblically educated. In 1 Samuel, look at verse 10, or chapter 10, rather. 
In chapter 10, pick up with me in verse 6. This is Samuel speaking to Saul. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into, what's that say? Changed into a different person. Well, just to make sure, look at verse 9. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. So did Saul have a new heart? Come on now, did Saul have a new heart? Did Saul have a new spirit? Well, we have a problem. Because that's not how you remember Saul, is it? Do you remember Saul, the great guy who did all that is God's will? Is that how you remember him? Do, do, you, do you hope one day to grow up and be just like Saul, the guy who tried to kill King David, the guy who split the, the Davidic kingdom, the guy who is a type of antichrist in the Bible? How does he go from having a new heart and a new spirit to that other yuckiness? Maybe we could, maybe we could flip a chapter to the right. Is that okay? Look at 1 Samuel 13. You can put that on the screen now, Susan. This is what happens to his heart. 1 Samuel 13, pick up with me in verse 5. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Is there a lot of sand on the seashore? These are Philistine armies, and they're surrounding Saul. You got some problems, friends? Anybody in here got more than one problem? You got as many problems as there are sand on the seashore? They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that the army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and in thickets among the rocks and pits and cisterns. What are God's soldiers doing hiding? Well, they're hiding because they're full of fear. What happens when you let fear creep in your heart? How about if we put a few little drops of that cowardice yellow and green in here. How's that water looking to you now? Anybody hoping to wash your blonde hair in it? No? Why not? It's still water. You know, God knows our hearts. God knows that's water. The question is, what is in that heart, huh? See, our actions begin to tell us what is in that heart. Look at what happens. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking. With fear. Quaking with fear. Can you be full of confidence that God is going to come through for you and be quaking with fear, hiding in a cave? Fear is the enemy of faith. Could I say that enough to you? Fear is the enemy of faith. Before we read the rest of this, how does Saul get this way? Is fear present in this scripture? It's going to lead him towards unhealthy thoughts. When you have an enemy of your faith dwelling in your heart, eventually is going to influence the way that you think. You ever met somebody that was mildly claustrophobic? Young, speak out loud. Don't raise your hand. Have you met somebody who is mildly claustrophobic? They're scared of small spaces. Does it get better or worse as they get older? It always gets worse. Phobias always grow if they're left unattended to. You know why? It is a lack of faith. If you trust God, we are not scared to stand in an elevator. Oh, pastor, why are you picking on my situation? 
Anything that tells you that something other than what God says about you is going to happen, then it is a lie and is sin. Now listen to what this kind of sin does to Saul. Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops were with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me a burnt offering and a fellowship offering. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. How many times did we give up on God and he would have come through in the next second? You never know. Because when you gave up on him, you didn't get to see it. You never know how close you are to success if you quit. I'm not going to bore you with all those invention stories, but it often takes more than 900 times to figure out how to make a light bulb. And if you quit at 899, you don't know how close you were to success. I was talking with a man recently who was telling me how much he's struggling with sin, and I said, good, and he seemed surprised. I'm just fine with you struggling against sin. I'm fine with you yielding to it. I'm not fine with you yielding to it. Because if you struggle long enough, you're eventually going to break through. Of course, if you lay down and just accept the evil desires of your heart, you're going to die. It doesn't matter how much you go to church either. Look at verse 11. What have you done, asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that they did not come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, do you hear how frantic he is? When I saw this and when I, when I saw that and, and then this too. We might even call that hysterical. Who is he? He's a king with a new heart and with the spirit of God in him. And suddenly he's acting like any coward from anywhere. Why is the church full of hypocrites? Because those who are the sons of God called to be kings act like ordinary men. It's not enough to get your heart changed. It's not enough to get filled with the Spirit. We have to be being filled. We have to continually have our heart changed. It's not a narrow way one day and then broad all the others. It's an ever-narrowing way. It's not a circumcision of the heart once and never again. It's a constant circumcision of the heart. In fact, Jesus said you had to carry your cross with you daily. Verse 12, I thought now the Philistines came down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled. Listen to how the man's unhealthy thoughts compelled him towards sin. Desire is dragging him away. Sin is birthed. And you know what it's going to cause in his life? Death. Now, Saul probably lived out the rest of his life thinking it was David's fault. That dirty David, he's usurping my authority. That terrible man with whom God is favoring, he's my problem. I bet Cain thought Abel was his problem too. You still with me, Nolan? I bet that Cain blamed Abel all of his life wherever he went. I bet that he did because he hated the thought that his brother had the favor of God and he didn't. Are you beginning to see how deceptive sin can be? Did Saul act nicely towards David? He tried to kill him for the next 20 years while smiling at him. You know what? The only reason David was ever anointed king is because Saul failed at his job. Do you hate the guy that God called to do what you wouldn't do? Do you hate those that are in the favor 
of the Lord because you know you're not? You know, it's an interesting thing. A man with a soft heart walks into a congregation and he melts. We recently had a visitor from Holland. Never been in church. He walked in and began crying. He said, I don't know why I feel this way. I've never been in a church before. He left with a new heart. He left full of the Spirit of God. Oh, amen. But I remember a night when Brother Zeke Lamb was preaching and it was just as anointed as any night ever could have been. And a woman walked in and began to curse and call down nasty things upon Zeke. Cried, slammed things around and ran out of the room. Why? See, we have a choice when faced with the truth of the Scripture. Are we going to hate those that show that we're in error or are we going to love them? Are we going to hate the word that condemns sin in us but liberates us from sin because we refuse to be liberated? See, Saul had a choice and he didn't choose well. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 10. In 2 Corinthians 10, here comes the fifth verse. Actually, verse 4. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. What do you do when you identify a thought that is different than God's thought? You have to take it captive. If you don't take it captive, it is going to take you captive. Jorge, you ever been in a real fight? You have, hadn't you? I know Jorge, and I know where he came from. That's just a way of life. There are places you can be where you're going to act or it's going to be acted upon you. Yeah? You ever been in a very small room with someone that you didn't want to be in there with? Guys, spiritually speaking... You have a choice. You can take captive the enemy's darts that are these thoughts that lodge themselves in our heart or they can take you captive. You know what there is not? A middle ground and a safe zone. It is a constant war to have your heart renewed. Why do you think everybody just says God knows my heart? They say it because they've credited themselves with a pure heart whether they have it or not. What do your actions say about your life? What do they say about your heart? An unbridled thought, a bad thought, leads to a bad desire. It begins to entice you and sin is born. And 100% of the time, the wages of sin are what? The wages of sin are death. Now, not the wages of someone else's sin. Not the wages of big sin. Not the wages of that most serious sin. The wages of all sin is death. Dwelling on a devilish thought is like drinking pollution. It's like harboring bitterness. It's like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. Guys, your heart, Proverbs 4.23, says, Above all else, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. So, Ray, if we had to go get something to drink, how much would you like to get it out of that cistern? 
Probably not much, huh? Devin, would you, would you like to get this bottle of water right here and drink it? No, prob probably not. How, how about the one on the right that BP gave us? Would you like that? Anybody want some BP water? No? Nobody's here signing up for the skim off of the Gulf? What are you giving God? You remember that Jesus said to Peter, if you've given as much as a, a cold drink of water, it will be rewarded you. What kind of water are you giving him? I offered you clean water earlier and the lady on the second row wanted it. Anybody want this water? Why is it that we offer this to God? Hmm? Would you give this to anybody that you love to drink? Do we really think that we can show up in his presence, not deal with the condition of our heart, and he's going to be okay with that? He'll just drink our water? See, I don't think he will. I think he requires more of that, more than that of us. Y'all want to give him better than that? Y'all want to give him something clean and pure, something that he can work with? Turn with me to Psalm 119. Say there when you're there. In Psalm 119, in the 30th verse, we begin our path towards a clean heart. 30th verse, I have chosen the way of truth. What have you done? Have you chosen the way of truth? Yes. Today, will you choose truth no matter what it costs you? Robert, do you choose truth no matter what it costs you? If we choose truth no matter what it costs us, that's a path to a clean heart. It often costs a lot, though. I have set my heart on your laws. That means that when the truth dictates a change in your heart, you have to change your heart. I hold fast to your statutes, O Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. You hold fast to what he shows you. I run in the path of your commandments, for you have set my heart free. We run in a new direction. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will keep your law. I will obey it with, say it, all of my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. What do you want from the Lord? Why would you come here today? What do you want? Do you want a right heart? Do you want to know God's direction for your life? See, if you want that, you can have it, but it's going to require you to turn in a new direction, to run after Him. You have to pick a new station, friends. Anybody remember what this is? This is not how we do it anymore, is it? Come on now, somebody said that was back in the day. You remember, Alex, we used to carry these things on our shoulders, man. And uh, I had little uh, all-star high tops. They were two different colors, and the shoestrings were different colors on that. And my Jabot jeans were tight rolled because that's, that's how you did it back then. Curtis is giving me the nod. You probably had Z Cabaricis, though, huh? Yeah, I figured. Well, back in those days when the dinosaurs were roaming the earth and we were wearing stone underwear and all of those things, back in those days... If you wanted to find a radio station, you had to fine-tune a dial. And the most frustrating thing happened is Murphy's Law. Whatever station you wanted to listen to was right next to whatever you most certainly never wanted to hear. 
And just the smallest little adjustment puts you in the wrong place. Your heart is exactly like that radio. You think that you're doing well, and then the very thing that you did not want to do creeps up on you. The whole seventh chapter of Romans is about that. When we set it, we're going to have to make sure that we reset it and set it and set it and set it over and over and over. We have to make the adjustment. Now, the third chapter of Colossians teaches us something, and I don't have time to read it to you today. But it says that we've been renewed in our mind and we've put off the old self and we must put on the new. If you're here today and you're thinking, I know, I'll reform my ways. Well, that's a good plan, but it's never worked for anybody. The desire to reform is never matched with the ability to complete it. If you start with dirty water and all you do is add more dirty water to it, that water does not become clean. It never happens. You know, when I was a teenager, I wanted to reform my ways. I felt guilty. I was worried Jesus was going to come back. And I was in one of those churches with a red-faced preacher. Y'all might say that about me. And he stood on the front row and he pointed and he pointed and he pointed. It was terrible because I was as guilty as could possibly be, and I knew it. So my prayer life was something like this. Jesus, please don't come back tonight. I know I'm not ready. I mean, to hell with the rest of you. I wasn't ready, right? So you ever wonder why Jesus hasn't returned? Some selfish 18-year-old boys out there praying, don't come back, Lord, I'm not ready. <laughs> and that was what my relationship with him was like. But when he came into me, I learned how to cut off what didn't belong. Now, I know you think you need your legs, but if your legs are causing you to sin, you got to get rid of them. you got to find something new. If your eyes are causing you to sin, you got to find something new. Colossians teaches us that we put off the old and on the new. Now, I don't know anybody in here that would like to have to have prosthetics. I don't, and, and I'm not advocating that. But I'm advocating the kind of attitude that says if my leg is gunshot, and I've got gangrene in it, and it's the reason that I can't get to Jesus, I'd rather not have the leg. See, there is no talk of loss in Christianity today. We talk about salvation is free, free, free. You ask him whether it was free for him to run this race. The guy on that screen, I bet he went through untold suffering to be able to run in this race, but there was no cost of admission to get into the race, so we would say the race is free. You know who it's not free for? Him. Wasn't free for him because he had to give up all kind of things to be in that race. That's exactly what salvation is like. Salvation is free for anybody who wants it, but it causes you to have to give up the most heart-wrenching things because your heart is wrong. And it has to be changed for the glory of God. There's only two phone calls I didn't return this week. Those both were from somebody who has expressed no actual desire to change their heart. They simply want to be rescued from their situation. I don't even think they're worthy of my time to talk for 30 seconds. Because there are too many people that if they knew the right thing to do, they would go do it. They just don't know. They, they don't know how to get from here to there, but they're willing to try. We've watched this guy's baby. We've taken care of his wife. We've watched him go to jail. We've watched him picked up in the middle of the night. We've watched him repent and then go back on drugs and repent and go back on drugs and never, ever walk right. 
In the first message he left me, he was upset. By the second message, he's furious that I didn't call him back right away. I got news for you, friends. I can't do anything for him. You know why? Because he wants all of the benefit. He's not willing to experience any of the loss. He's not going to marry the woman he's sleeping with. He's not going to make that baby have a real daddy. He's going to continue to live a selfish life and ask God to bless it. And that's exactly where most of the church is. Living a selfish life, asking God to bless it. Does this guy inspire you? Boy, he inspired me. What else could you cut off? I, I bet. I bet if you removed the man's arms, he still wouldn't quit. I bet if you removed his ears, he wouldn't quit. How much pressure does it take to get you to quit on Jesus? You could beat Brother Joel into a greasy little spot on the ground, and that greasy little spot would still yell, I'm blessed. Been married 18 months and has been struggling with sickness all 18 months. But you know what? He remembers where Jesus brought him from to where he is now, and he's still got an unconquerable joy. See, when we love the Lord, we know we can't do it on our own. We need the Spirit of God. Where are you at, Spencer? Stand up, Spence. Spence is a big old rascal, isn't he? Y'all say Spence is a big rascal. How far do you think Spence can throw a football? Spence, how far? He, he looks like Tebow if Tebow, you know, put on some muscle. How far do you think he could uh, throw a football? You know, Spence is kind of brother-in-law back there. They both married sisters. He can throw one almost 70 yards, and Spence is bigger than him. Spence, throw this one 70 yards. What's wrong with that football? Can you throw that 70 yards? Come on, man, if I'm on the dead stride, can you drop it over my shoulder? It's duck season, Jay. I'm so glad Jay didn't have a gun. If Jay, if Jay had a gun, friends, you would have seen a shooting in church. What is this need? You know, I don't know how many pumps it's going to take. But I serve a God who, if you say, fill me up, say it. Fill me up. Fill me up. Fill me up. Fill me up. Look, would you rather throw this one, Spence? Look, this little thing, Spence, can probably throw a country mile. You know, it looked like a football before, and it was a football. But in the condition the football was in, it wasn't going anywhere. But I bet it can now, huh? Come on, Spence, throw it at me. Look at that. It didn't fly like a duck, did it? What did the football lack, friends? If you were going to say air in Hebrew, you'd say ruach, as in ruach hakodesh, the spirit of God. If you were going to say it in Greek, you would say pneumaticos spiros. You would say the spirit of God, pneumaticos theos. What we put in this is what it needed. Do you know what you need in you? You need more of the Holy Ghost. You know, when we look at... Jeremiah 2.13, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. If we knew what we needed, we would ask Him for it, but we accepted a substitute instead. Rather than praying for rain, we just got a sprinkler system. 
The living God will not honor a heart that doesn't want to go all the way with him. He will honor someone who says, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, he will meet you in that. In Acts 6, 3, we chose seven men known to be full of the Spirit. If you were going to hand out bread in the early church, you had to be full of the Spirit. In Acts 7, 55, Stephen standing before the Sanhedrin, full of the Spirit. You know why he's full of the Spirit? They're about to kill him. How else could he be there? If he wasn't full of the Spirit, he'd have run away. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In your most dire moments, what do you look up and see? Fear that compels you to sin? Or Jesus standing at the right hand of God? In Acts eleven twenty four, they're said to be full of the Holy Spirit. Now, that glass earlier was full of water. Was it the kind of water you want? You know, let me tell you why you need to be full of the Holy Ghost. If you're not full of the Holy Ghost, something's going to eat you. I mean, that's just the truth. Y'all know we live in a dog-eat-dog -dog world? You heard that? If I hand out something expensive by the spaghetti warehouse across from the University of Houston in downtown Houston under that bridge at 2 o'clock in the morning. Who's going who's gonna to keep it? Come on now, you can tell me the truth. Who do, you, who do you think will get to keep whatever I handed out that was expensive? The toughest man there. Hmm? Isn't that sad? It's barbaric, isn't it? Of course, you think it's just under that bridge where some of the homeless folks sleep? You ever seen a Black Friday sale at Walmart? People been killed at them the last few years. Trampling people. Could be suburban housewives, but they're murderous when their heart is set on a sale. Let me show you something I thought was cute. I saw it in the Caribbean Ocean. Yeah, y'all know, do it all together. Oh, This little guy is something else, man. They're about this big. Right? If you catch it, Jay, and you bring it home, you say it's this big. But if you actually see it, it's about this big. Anything in the ocean could eat that guy. You know, but he has a unique talent. Go ahead and show us that next one. When he feels threatened, he fills up with the water of life. Why do I call it the water of life? Because it's saving his. And anything that swallows him swallows what is in him. And what is in him is poisonous to everything else. There is a chemical in this little fish that is 1,200 times more deadly than cyanide, and it's enough to kill 30 men. And I'm so stupid that I chased it all over the Caribbean Ocean because I thought if I caught it, my wife would be proud. <laughs> you know, that's just what a man full of the Holy Ghost is like, though. Say, devil, you think you can take me. You can swallow me, I give whales indigestion. <laughs> you can come after me with the best you got because you don't know what is in me. But when you bite hold of me, you're going to get what's inside me. This is why we need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Let me ask you another question. If this is the condition of your heart today, this black nasty water, not fit for doing anything good, can anything be done with it? 
Where are you at, Spence? You're my example today. Cody, you come up here too. I picked the two smallest guys in the house. What could be done for it? You know, the Bible teaches us, and you can see it in places like John 4, 14. Let's go there. Cody, grab that jar for me. You and Spence bring it over here. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Do you know how big that little puffer fish can get? Nobody knows. He gets as big as he's got to get so that he's not swallowed. That little puffer fish starts this big. And they say, well, he can go seven times. But he'll go eight if he has to. They say he can go 10 times, but he'll go 15 if he has to. There are pictures of those fish so expanded with what I'm calling the Holy Ghost, their eyes are about to blow out of their head. How full of the Holy Ghost do you want? Well, I want as much as it's going to take, friends. How much is it going to take to wash out that yucky water? I'll start to pour that slowly. You tell me when to stop. If this was your heart, it's okay, just keep pouring. If this was your heart, keep going. If this was your heart, when would you want it to stop? How long is it going to take? We're going to keep pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring. Is the water getting a little clear? It starts. It starts. It keeps going. Eventually, look at this. What's happening? Now, friends, you say, I got filled with the Holy Ghost. Yeah, but you're full of a lot of other stuff too, aren't you? Let's keep going until that water's fit to drink. How much? Who wants a drink now? Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's make sure all that yuckiness is out. Keep going. Keep going. You say, hey, I got filled with the Holy Ghost in 1993. I said, why? Well, I spoke in other tongues. Good for you. How full are you today? Keep going. Keep going. In the name of Jesus, how full you want to get? Have we got there yet? What happens if God is inexhaustible? What happens if it was supposed to be poured until you were like Jesus. Let me ask you something. Thank you all. There was a professional wrestler. He used to say, can you smell what the rock is cooking? No, but I'm going to drink what the rock is given. How about you? See, you have a choice. You have a choice in what you offer Jesus today. And if you don't like what you have to offer, he will pour so much of him into you that you can offer back the life that he gave you to him. Anybody in here need a new life? We're going to worship for a while, and I'm going to remember you said that. If you want a new life, you're going to have to ask him for it. You don't get the new life without admitting that something's wrong with the old one. We live in a nation that says, I did it, I'm good. I got my USDA stamp. I'm a Christian. I'm good now. I'm good because, you know, so long ago I did that thing. I lived like hell ever since. But, you know, I got baptized. What's the condition of your heart like? Is it drinkable? See, because this is drinkable. It had enough of a pure thing poured in it that it washed out all of that yuckiness. Do we need new hearts in here today? If you need a new heart, then get your new heart. Who's keeping you? Who's stopping you? Is it just pride? Is it the world? What is it? We're going to pray for every sick person in here, and we're going to believe with you that you're healed. 
Everybody who wants a new heart today, we're going to pray with you, but you know what you got to do? you got to hold fast, you got to set it, and you got to run. You don't get to eat a cracker in this church and it make you clean. What you have to do is get your daily bread from heaven. Come on, is your heart broken in this place? Do you need a drink from heaven? Y'all stand to your feet, worship with us.